0: The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Father, I don't know who you used to write uh, the words of that song, I don't know, Uh, but I want to thank you. I want to thank you just for that prayer that you've given us this morning for that focus on you. Please continue to be lifted up and draw us to you, I pray in your name. Amen. Please be seated. I have a note at the bottom of my sermon. Am I on? I am, right? You can hear me? Everybody you got me? All right, good. Um, the uh, I have a note at the bottom of my sermon, so I will not forget something, but I always forget them anyway, so I decided to move this announcement up to the beginning. In the bulletin, uh, there's a note that says we have, uh, we're have we nominating Chris Graham to join the elder team. And uh, I'd introduce you to Chris and Stephanie, but they're actually down the hall working with the kids this week, so we'll introduce them next week. But I wanted to call your attention to that announcement because the way we have that set up is uh, according to the Constitution, uh, When someone is nominated to serve as an elder, the church family has 30 days then to kind of consider that prayerfully, and if they have some issues, something they like to talk about, the first step would be you go to Chris and talk to him. If that's not resolved, then uh, you would come to all the elders and say, hey, you know, I got something I need to, I have some concerns with this. So I mentioned that now. That actually kind of gives you an extra week. We'll have four (coughs) weeks from next week uh, before we would uh, actually... uh, What do you do with an elder? uh, Install. Is that a good word? Uh, We'll we'll go with that. But uh, five weeks from today or or four weeks from from next week when we introduce them. But I did want to mention that. Okay. uh, I'd have to say I am not the world's, (laughs) this may be the understatement of the year, I'm not the world's best gift giver. Many times when Christmas comes or anniversary or whatever like that, uh, I have to give a gift with uh, one of two things. Either I am saying, don't worry, I have the receipts. Or I am saying uh, something like, is this what you wanted? Uh, like, I got a specific instructions, the aisle, the store, the e- everything like that, and I'm supposed to go follow into that list, but I don't always do it real well. So uh, however, however, over the years, 37 years of marriage, uh, there's been a few times when I hit a home run. Will you back me up on that? Okay, she'll give me that. Uh, not very often, but there's been a few times when uh, when it was just like, okay, that yeah, nailed it there. And uh, whenever I know, I mean, you, you just kind of sense this is gonna be a stinking good gift, and uh, I get so excited. Like I can't. There was one time I had something like that, and we, we were uh, dropping the kids off and then going to Chicago, and I was gonna give her the gift when we were up in Chicago, a nice romantic setting, and I couldn't wait. It's like the kids got out of the car, we got back in, I reached to the back seat, and said here. I I couldn't wait to get it there because, you know, I said, I actually, as we have looked at this uh, series of sermons and we've talked about (laughs) the characteristics of God, that he is so much higher than us, that he is so much greater, and just to try to lift him up. I really feel like that with each message, like I have a gift, I have something I so much want you to have. And I'm not saying it's you know the greatest sermon in the world or anything like that, but I just think if we could get a hold of seeing uh, our God in His greatness, how incredible, incredibly it would impact our lives. This summer, Francis was reading a little book. It's called None Like Him by Jen Wilkins, None Like Him. And it as she was reading it, she was reading different parts to me, and I thought, hey, that sounds pretty good. And uh, as soon as I looked at it, I thought, you know what? <laughs> this, this is great. This is something that uh, would really impact my life. I'd love to share it with the congregation. And I've never, in the years I've been here, I've never actually just preached through a book like I have this time. But I was like, hey, we got to get this. We've we got to get a hold of some of these characteristics of God because as we do it will uh, you know pastor james uh, stands up at the beginning and and talks about the idea of what we want is for this to be a time of connection to god but i really feel like if we can get a hold of these truths if we can learn these truths uh it will so much increase our trust in him and that he is glorified and i see that trust as such a hinge to everything we do and get connected to him so so i come in pretty pumped and and, and ready to go but we're getting close to the end here now. We got this week and next week. Uh, we're going to be uh, summarizing some things we have gone through. We talked about the fact that God is, where's my list? I, my memory's not too good. Uh, that He is infinite, that He is incomprehensible that he is self-existent, self-sufficient, that he is eternal, that he is unchangeable. Uh, Pastor James preached one week on the fact that he is omniscient, and as we've looked at those things, hopefully, as, as we understand that, our trust is growing, we're actually going to look at three different characteristics of God today. The first is his omnipresence, and then, Pastor James already talked about his omniscience one time, but we're gonna look at that again just as it fits in with everything else, and then his omnipotence, and then, of course, his omni Okay, that, that might not actually be a word. But uh, so we'll simplify it there. We'll put those words up there. The fact that he is everywhere, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-powerful, and that he is all-loving. The all-loving idea is actually not one of these characteristics of God that we say we cannot touch for. We can grow in our love. But it, it's going to fit and, and tie some things together as we look at this today. So, you ready? I'm ready? You ready? Alright, good. I'm actually, I was in here today trying to juggle offering plates. Hey, this one didn't get used. You holding out? <laughs> no, i <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> I gotta settle down. Okay. Uh, Alright, let's, uh, and what I'd like to do is start uh, with a passage of Scripture here in the book of Jeremiah. Um, and um, the main passage that we're going to look at I actually have uh, on the screen for you today. But um, it says, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? A little rhetorical question. Obviously, I am. Can a man hide himself in secret? I'm sorry, in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Okay, now he's actually talking in this situation to some false prophets that would be like, uh, pretending like God doesn't exist. And he says, okay, basically, do you think you can hide from me? Uh, do you think you're going to uh, you know, find a spot that, that I am not going to find? And we understand from this that God's omnipresence, that God has limitless presence, that there's no place, there's no time that God is not at. Now, this is one of those traits of God that we cannot have, but sometimes we would like to have it a little bit. Now, there is a vacation destination in America that is... 30 miles, I'm sorry, let me change that, 30 miles from the nearest town, six hour drive from the nearest airport, and yet it draws thousands of tourists every year. There's no particular landscape that you would look at and say, oh, man, that is really beautiful. There's no particular restaurant that you want to go to. There's no amusement park. There's no water park. I'm not sure there's any water. It's out in the southwest. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Not the Grand Canyon. That'd be pretty to look at. Yeah, I like uh, there's a place called the Four Corners. Anybody been there? Okay, some of you have been there. Pretty exciting? No, okay. <laughs> but people like to go to the Four Corners just to say, hey, here I am. I'm in four places at once, okay? Um, there's. I wouldn't get thrilled about it either, Jim. Jim's disgusted. Apparently, he drove out there and uh, <laughs> still mad about the whole thing, but uh, you. Uh, you know... I am in four places at once. I can be in multiple places. Uh, so sometimes we somewhat desire to have that attribute of God. But as we examine that it indeed is an attribute of God, there's uh, something that it rules out in our life, and that is something that we'll call practical atheism, which is just a terminology we use to talk about, the idea that you're living like there is no God. Okay, living like he's, he's not around, living like... Uh, we just saying, I'm not alone. We're living like we are alone. And we can do pretty much whatever we, we want. Uh, living like there is no God, like he, he is not, doesn't have his eyes on us. When I was uh, a couple years ago training, uh, doing my bus driving training, okay? Uh, the, uh, as, as we were driving, I had to get 10 hours in and driving the bus around town and things, things like that. And uh, as I was doing that, there's different times when the lady that was training me would say, okay, now you're going through Edwardsburg, and uh, you're about 10 miles over the speed limit. (laughs) Or she'd say, okay, that was not a stop. (laughs) You kind of rolled through that one. Now this is summertime, I'm driving around by myself, and she says, I just want you to know, she says, every parent in Edwardsburg watches you. And if you do something like this, somebody is going to call and report you. I guarantee it's going to happen. She said, the speed limit on Section Street is 25 miles an hour. Uh, If a bus goes over that, and I I didn't take it all that seriously, she was not lying. Okay, this is my third year of doing some substitute driving. I have been reported three times. Uh, (laughs) Once for speeding through a neighborhood, in fact, it was your neighborhood. <laughs> Did you call? I got to talk to Genie. Okay. Uh, but uh, anyway, once for speed for a neighborhood, once for uh, kind of stopping but not exactly at a stop sign. And then once, uh, and this one was actually bad, there's uh, when you turn on the little <laughs> yellow lights that blink, <laughs> okay, the others were too, but, uh, but, but when you turn on the yellow the little lights and they, and they blink and then you hit the next button, the reds come on and the thing comes open. Well, sometimes you pull up to a house, you turn on the little yellows and they start to blink and then you realize the person isn't coming. So instead of turning on the reds, you can hit a kill switch that, that knocks the, those out. Well, I did that, and apparently I forgot to turn the master back on. So then I did two more stops in the neighborhood without the lights on. Yeah, that's not good. I, I was in the neighborhood and everything like that. But here's, here's the thing. They called in, and the, honestly, those first two things, the speeding and the stopping, they went back and watched the tape. I'm clear. <laughs> I'm clear. I, I, I passed the test. However, on that one, the director called me in and she said, uh, is it possible you made a couple of stops? And I'd already kind of thought, oh no, maybe I did that. Uh, so is it possible you made a couple stops without using your lights? And I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> dumb thing to say. <laughs> they have everything recorded. Uh, there's little cameras every, everywhere, everywhere. A very, very dumb thing to say. Well, I don't know. And she said, well, we went back and watched the tape and you did. And I was like, well, why did you ask me? (laughs) Why didn't you just say it? Uh, But, you know, you try to pretend like, hey, Big Brother isn't watching or somebody isn't watching. The more and more in our world we we understand that idea, and sometimes it creeps us out. We need to understand this. It has always been that God has complete surveillance on us. Okay? We need to get that. And I know that sounds so simple, but don't we sometimes practice this right here? It's almost like, hey, God isn't watching this one. We'll, We'll use the expression, boy, I have some secret sins. No, you don't. Sorry, they're not a secret. Uh, or sometimes we feel like this is a hurt that nobody knows about. Or we do feel alone. And God says, no, that's, that's not the case when we understand we're actually not alone. There's a, uh, there's a story in Genesis chapter 28 where Jacob is somewhat on the run from God, but he uses this expression that, that really hit on with me. He said, the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Uh, and that's sometimes where we are. The Lord is in this place, and I I didn't realize it. I I didn't see it. I lived like he wasn't there. The second thing as I think about God's omnipresence that that I want you to think about is the ministry of presence. Now, as you think about that, it is just that idea that sometimes it is just your presence in a situation. A friend has lost a loved one, What can I say? I have nothing to say. Maybe it's best you say nothing, but just that showing up, just that being there, just that sitting or showing up the funeral home or being there or stopping by their home or sometimes just to sit and listen, sometimes just to sit and cry with them, sometimes just to sit and put an arm around them, that type of thing. Just the ministry of actually being there and get, you know, how important and how powerful that is. You know, I don't know that you can substitute for that. I don't think that you can. We have a grandson uh, that uh, is coming up on his first birthday out in Colorado, and I think in the year, in his first year, we've seen him three times. We had uh, once they came to our place, once we went to their place, and then one neutral ground meeting. Uh, but uh, but it basically, every week or two we get uh, FaceTime and we Skype, and you know, and that's fun. I like that. That's cool. But you know, he's sitting there. <laughs> he's not even a year old yet. He's like. No, uh, what? Uh, you know, you're yelling at me, He's thinking, what is the weird little people in the box talking to me about? It? You know, it just doesn't. What I'm saying is it's not quite the same as being there. Okay, it's good, but it's not quite the same of that presence. There is power in Presence and there's power in our ministry of presence there most definitely then is power also in God's ministry of presence And if we can get a hold of that idea I mentioned the story in Genesis about Jacob and he said, you know, God God's been here the whole time and I I didn't see it He goes on and talks about this place where he realized God was there and he met God and he calls it Bethel Okay uh, which is the idea of this is the, the place of God. This is the place where He met met God. You know, this is where He meets Him. I discourage you from viewing this room as or this building as God's house. I, I really do. I, I it's because I'm afraid for some people they like that's where God is. <laughs> that's where I've got to be on my good behavior. That's where I want to you know that that, that type of thing because that's where God dwells. Uh, for me, one of my favorite places just to meet with God is, is sitting down by Pleasant Lake. <laughs> God likes Pleasant Lake. Uh, we we like to hang out there, and I hope that you will find, you know, those places in your life where, hey, this is cool. This is where I get to meet with God. Now, if you want to come in here, you're welcome anytime. You're welcome to use this altar. You're welcome to pray. But I don't want you to think, hey, God is in this spot. I got to get there where God is. Now, we definitely... Uh, seek God's presence and God's Spirit working uh, in us here, you know, each Sunday morning, but but realize, hey, sacred times are not limited. God's presence is not limited to here for an hour on Sunday morning, okay? If we can begin to grasp a little bit that God truly is everywhere. The second characteristic we look at, I wanted to read it from the book of Isaiah. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Why would you say, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, that the Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Why in the world would you say there is something that God does not know? By the way, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, just a great chapter to spend uh, looking at and dwelling on the the greatness of God. But uh, he said, why would you even say this? Why would you even think there is something that God does not know? Now, when we talk about God's omniscience, the fact that he is all-knowing, this is definitely something that we struggle with or we desire. I mentioned before, back in the Garden of Eden, remember, that was the temptation to Adam and Eve. Eat of this fruit and you shall know, even as you are known, Uh, offering then that was, you know, the lure was the, the the apple, the carrot, if you will, that they put out there is eat this and you will know we want to be like God. But as we think about the fact that He is omniscient, uh, there are some cautions that come. One of them could be about against this, what we could call information overload. We are not designed to be omniscient. We are not designed to know everything. Sometimes when we see I don't know if any of you have faced uh, the idea when when you see that word information overload. One area where I have seen this a lot is in people's lives where they are told that they or someone they love have a particular sickness or illness. And, uh, of course, you go right online and you start to look and you start to read everything there is to read about it. And every different possible treatment. Uh, I, somebody faxed me something, uh, that, I'm sorry, they didn't fax. <laughs> what decade am I in? I don't know. Uh, but they emailed and, and they sent me a, a link to something where they're, and I, I, I'm not making fun of this, I'm just saying there's so many different things, uh, but they are actually, for cancer treatment, they're taking some type of dog parasite medicine. <laughs> some of you are like, I don't think so, uh, but they, you know, and, I th- and there's there's this idea here, and there's there's here, and there's uh, radiation here, and there's surgery, and there, and there's you know, okay, yo, no, let's just let's just try to eat healthy and, and that type of thing, and there's all these different ideas, and sometimes you just read and read and read, and it's just like I can't take anymore. <laughs> okay, I don't even want to see anything else there. I can get that way even in the sports world, definitely in the political world. Okay, so I don't I don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> they over, and have you ever noticed that, you know, how short things stay in a news cycle? You know, because, you know, it's the biggest story and everything. And then, you know, a month later, nobody's even talking about it at all because we just get overloaded with too much information. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse number 12, uh, the scripture says that much learning leads to weariness. Okay? Now, that was my verse in college, that was my uh, life verse. But uh, but much learning, you know, the, the idea is that, you know, much learning hath made thee mad, you know, maybe you think of something like that. But, you know, sometimes we feel like we have to know everything. And sometimes, you know, even in our, our worlds, we have to know everything about what's going on in everybody else's life and things that are none of our business and that t- type of thing. We're not designed to be omniscient. And we can suffer, I think, from information overload. But there's also a few things that I want you to think about that, that uh, Because God is omniscient, we can never believe that we are capable of doing this. One of them is to outsmart God. That we would circumvent his knowledge, I'm sorry, his logic. That we would second guess him. That we would uh, say, hey God, I don't really think you're doing this right. I don't think, you know, you're getting all the facts or whatever like that. We are never going to be able to outsmart him. Another thing is we are not able to bargain with him. This is a little deeper but if you think about this for a second, um, we all have somewhat of a tendency I think sometimes to want to bargain a little bit with God. Kind of like if if you'll do this, God I'll do this. If we understand that God already knows everything about us, God already is in the future, He knows exactly what we're going to do. Our relationship with God should not be based on us bargaining with Him. Our relationship is based on a covenant that was sealed in the death of his son, him giving his son for us. That's, the, that's my relationship with him. Uh, so I'm not bargain, bargaining with him, you know, trying to get my way, trying to manipulate him in any way. Uh, I can realize that I am never, ever going to be able to fool him. Um, you ever play dumb? <laughs> Say, ain't playing. Uh, but you know, uh, I don't really know how our dishwasher works. do you? Do you? Uh, I've, never, I've never figured that out. Somewhere there's a button, but I don't know where it is, and I, I think it must be pretty hard to find. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever play dumb about certain things like that or play uh, deaf. You ever play deaf? Oh, I didn't hear you. <laughs> As the door shuts or that type of thing. I was uh, at a game at Bethel College one day, and uh, my, I was sitting with a friend, and he spotted a friend across the. Uh, across the uh, we were at the White Camp Center with we the b- b- basketball thing. And he spotted him. He said, Hey, I'm going to give him a call. So he called him, and as he did, you could see the guy pull out his phone, look at it, and put his phone away. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my friend sitting beside him he was like, Well. Oh. Uh, so he called him again. You can see the guy put out his phone, put it away. Uh, so then uh, he texted him. He said, Why are you ignoring my calls? And the guy looked at it, put it away. <laughs> And then later on at halftime or something, he texts back and said, oh, I'm sorry, I missed your call. <laughs> the, guy, the guy was like, I don't think so. I watched you the, the whole time. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever pulled that down. This, I'm, I'm telling the honest truth right now. I have, I have my phone with me today. This is not working well. So if in, before I get a new phone, if I tell you I missed your call, I'm telling you the truth. Okay. But uh, have you ever used that? Yeah, I'm sorry. It didn't seem to come through. I didn't get that text. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I didn't, I understand, we play dumb sometimes. Well, very simply, we understand then that that is not going to work with God. We are not going to be able to fool him. We are not going to be able to rely on God to forget something. We're not going to be able to re- rely that uh, he's going he's to miss something. Isaiah chapter 49 says that, uh, in there it says, can a, can a woman, can a mother forget her nursing child? And then it says, even so, I, God, will always remember you. I'm going to write you on the palm of my hands. Uh, we cannot ever uh, think that, hey, maybe God, uh, with other people sometimes, you know, hey, this, this will just go away. Do you know what I mean? Eventually, we'll forget about that. Maybe they won't even think about it. You know, in time, it'll, it'll pass. Understand that God never forgets, but this is a good thing because he never forgets us. Okay, You say, well, doesn't God forget about our sins? The Bible says this, that when we trust in Christ, our sins are no longer remembered. God does not remember them. It doesn't mean that he lost cognitive knowledge of the fact that you sin, but what it means is he will not hold it against you. Okay, So God is never going to forget. Now, let, let's, let's take a minute here. As we've talked about these two things, we've talked about the fact that God is omniscient, Knows everything. We talked about that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Here's the here's the takeaway. Here's the gift that I want I want us to get a hold of. We have been looking the last couple of weeks as our primary text in the Psalms, and we see we, people that study scripture have often seen the Psalms as kind of a template for walking with the Lord, you know, for your devotional life, spending time with Him. And in them we keep seeing this incredible honesty. Just to, hey, here it is. Here it is, God. I am struggling. Why in the world is so-and-so prospering? I don't understand. Why does it seem like you know, things aren't working the way I think they ought to work? It doesn't seem to make sense. And then the psalmist turns it around, and he does turn it to praise, but, the, but you see in there this incredible honesty. And if we can, understanding that God is everywhere, he hasn't missed anything, he knows everything, if we can seek to develop that in our own life, And I want to encourage you, even now, maybe while I'm talking, shut me out for a second. (laughs) No problem, we got that. Uh, But, you know, and just, or maybe set aside later today, there's something that is so heavy on your heart. uh, Something, could you just pour out your heart to God? Could could you just, God, here it is. God already knows. It's not a surprise. Say, well, why do you need to tell him? Trust me, sometimes just in speaking it, it is an incredibly good thing to do. This is something that, to me, has been such a powerful tool in my life is when I, I don't pretend like it's not there, I don't pretend, you know, maybe this will just go away, but I actually list it. You know, Francis was talking uh, to somebody this week and just said, hey, why you know, if you've got something that's uh, really eating at you, why don't you just talk through, why don't you just express what is the worst case scenario what could happen? And it actually was a very good thing. You know? And sometimes when I find myself expressing things to God, I hear it out loud and I'm saying this to God and I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever said. You know? And, and I'm, just, I'm just saying, as we understand his omnipotence, or as we, understanding it's, it's too great, we're not going to, but I'm sorry, uh, his omniscience and his omnipresence, as we begin to grasp that, hopefully it'll be like, hey, this right here is an open book. My life before God. And, and, you know, when we talk around here about a primary goal being to help you connect with God, I mean, that's so much the gift that I want to give you is just just talk to them, okay? Just get real and uh, just express it. I still think too many people feel like, you know, there's some type of, uh, you know, I've mentioned before, I don't think it is wrong to read prayers, but it's almost like, hey, there's a certain format I got to use in prayer and, you know, I got to say the right thing or anything like that. And, uh, well, I'm not real good at praying. Come on. That's not what it's about. Connecting with God is just, hey, here's my heart, Lord. Here's what's going on. Uh, What a powerful, uh, I I would say tool, but a powerful part of our lives this could be. Okay, so we talked about his, uh, what's the first one? Omnipresent. Uh, We talked about him being everywhere. We talked about him knowing everything. The third thing we'll look at is his omnipotence. Uh, This is, uh, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, What he is telling them is, this is how I pray for you. Okay, if I went back a couple verses, he's basically saying, this is how I pray for you. But here's what I'm praying will take place in your life. I pray that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? I want you to know these things. I want you to grasp these. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Again, some surrounding verses there. If you, if you want to re- read later, some good stuff. But he's, he's praying and he, he's just saying, hey, I want you to understand the work, the powerful work that God is doing in your life. Now, maybe that's not the direction that you thought I'll go with when we're talking about God's omnipotence. Okay, he's all-powerful. What are we going to talk about? But if you would consider with me for a second, if you want to say the way man views power compared to the way Jesus exercised power, uh, we think of power uh, as being, first of all, maybe just physical strength. We think of, man, that is a powerful man or a powerful woman, you know, because they're buff, because they're strong, because, they're you know, and that is kind of, uh, they could assert their authority like that. I was, uh, we were doing some moving. We were, I was moving my... Daughter and son in law this past weekend. And my son in law actually has always been a weightlifter, and his dad is a weightlifter. Now, get ready for a shock. I'm not a weightlifter uh uh-huh. I know you're looking thinking it's just all natural yeah this is all natural uh pretty much like that and you know and i but these guys you know i'd be like ah. and uh you know they come over and uh lifted it with, no trouble it was a little embarrassing where i let that but we think of that as being hey this is where the power is in my fiz- maybe in my ability to run you know my ability to uh perform in a certain sport but that's where this po- by the way i mean we always get into this but it is amazing how because somebody is Athletic, they are, become the authority on everything. Have you, have you noticed that? It's kind of a weird little world we live in. But there is power in that physical ability, There's po- power in physical appearance. Uh, just being good looking has uh, some influence. There's an old episode. Some of you speak Seinfeld. I know. Uh, there's an old episode of Seinfeld where uh, he's dating this pretty woman, and she can get him better tickets, and she can get him uh, out of t- out of tickets when police pull him over, and everything like that, because she has this power because she is uh, because she is good looking. Uh, There's power definitely in wealth. Uh, Francis and I, honestly, this isn't because we're cheap. Uh, But sometimes we'll go into a restaurant and we'll split a meal. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but as soon as you tell some waitresses and waiters that you're splitting a meal... You become a second-class citizen. (laughs) I ain't getting much tip here. Uh, These cheap people, you know. But uh, anyway, there is, but if somebody does have money and you sense that, uh, man, all of a sudden, man, that person seems to have more power. Charisma is another thing where the world finds power is just in, you know, the motivational ability to speak, the coach or the politician that can do this. But as we think about Jesus, did Jesus have that power and show that power in those ways? Physical strength? I think Jesus was, had to have been very manly for the profession that he had, he was a carpenter, and to endure what he endured on the cross in his physical body. But where do you see a situation where Jesus was somehow using his physical power over somebody? You know, you will listen to me, it's not there. His appearance, the scripture says very clearly in Isaiah 53 that there is no form of beauty that you should desire him. We paint the picture of Jesus being very good looking. Uh, even in the film The Passion, that you know was, was so popular, you had this guy named Jim Caviezel playing him. You know, I remember one time we were watching a uh, person of interest at Jim Cavisol's and I said to my wife, uh, you know, is he good looking? <laughs> Yeah, Uh, you know, so that you get this handsome guy to be uh, to be Jesus. And we think, boy, he must be it must have been good looking. But, you know, we're not not with Jesus. He wasn't like that. The Bible specifically says there's no particular beauty that we should desire him. Uh, Wealth. scripture says the son of man didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't he didn't really have any earthly possessions at all. How about his persuasive speech, his charisma? When Jesus was brought before Pilate, the Bible says that he chose not even to utter any words. He didn't use any of those things to assert his power. So we look back to our text, and we see this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And I want to suggest to you that perhaps the greatest example of his power is the fact that he took, in this case, he took this hard heart and he made it his dwelling place. I'm sorry, I love that thought. It just gets me so excited. God took this hard heart towards him, and he made it his dwelling place. But his powerful work, his transformational work in our life. Yes, it talks in there about the hope. He wants them to see the hope that we have of eternity and everything that he's done in that way. But also just to see this transformational work that takes place uh, in our lives as we see this. One of the things that I think, as we see his omnipotence, his power in our lives, one of the things that most definitely should do is to bring us to our knees. You know, as I think back to physical strength, I think of that mercy game, and you you get somebody's hands and you gotta bend them over and break them down to their knees. But I think as I see what he has done in my life and in my heart, hopefully it humbles me to the place where whether I literally move down to my knees or not, that in my heart this is where I bow before him. That i bow before him recognizing his greatness and his goodness and his kindness and then also it brings me to a place of prayer on my knees why would i choose to do life in my own strength when his power is available to me last winter uh my daughter and husband were living in an apartment because they were temporary they've just moved back into home but when they moved to the apartment he has, they bought him, when they, they moved to this house, his grandparents bought him this massive snow blower. And uh, he said, Hey, I need to keep it. Can I keep it at your house? So last winter, I had a, this snow blower. When they gave it to me, I said, uh, You yeah, know, I probably won't use it. I really like to shovel. And uh, But the first time it snowed, I thought, you know, I probably ought to run it a little bit just to, just to make sure that it's it's not just sitting there idle all year. So I fired that baby up. <laughs> Never did get the shovel out last winter. That was pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, I, had that, I had that power at my disposal. Now they're talking about taking it back. They've moved back into a house. I think maybe I lost it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. But, you know, that was just so nice. Why would I go dig out the shovel when that power is available? Why would I continue to walk in my own? own energy, living like there is no God when I can, this type of power, this omnipotence, this transformational power is available in my life. So it drives me to my knees humbly, it drives me to my knees in prayer, and most definitely, and this is just kind of a summary in some ways of our whole series, but it teaches us to trust. I see in my life my trusting God as being the hinge on which so much swings, maybe we could say everything swings. I obey Him when I trust Him. Okay, I glorify Him when I trust Him, when I'm pointing to Him. I uh, have a peace when I trust Him. You know, in our world that is so racked with anxiety that kills us and stress that, that drains people all the time, Uh, If I can learn to trust him, how much that transforms my entire life. So I'd like to get you to kind of pull all these together for a second, okay? And remember my uh, um, omni word at the beginning, the idea that God is all-loving. I want you to think about the idea that if indeed God is all-loving, that means that he wants what is best. Is that a a good statement? God is all-knowing. So therefore, God knows what is best. God is all-powerful, so therefore, God can do what is best. He wants what is best. He knows what is best. He can do what is best. When I take those three ideas and kind of roll them together, I can trust that what He is doing in my life is best. Okay, Very, very simply. And by, by the way, if that, that first one... That all loving thing, you know. Maybe you say, "Okay, yeah, God's all powerful and He's all knowing." I get that, but I don't really see where He loves me. Whenever, uh, when, air, when, when <laughs> Sometimes I break into uh, a different century. I don't know. <laughs> Whenever I think like that, and uh, you know, I'm thinking, "Okay, you know, wait a minute, God, I'm not really feeling very loved here." One of my favorite verses to go to is in the book of Romans, chapter eight, and it's Romans eight thirty-two, and it says this: uh, God says basically that. He did not, okay, listen, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all will, all, will will he not also with him graciously give us all things, the one who did not spare his own son? And if I can illustrate just r- real quickly for a second, I stop and I think, okay, I'm not feeling real loved. I go back to that verse. I think about what we remembered last week when we when we observed the Lord's Supper, the the what God did for me in sending his son. How can I believe that I am not loved when I see that? Um, I've used this as an illustration before, but I, I have one son. He's, uh, he's 28 years old. Uh, let's say that, let's take him back 10 years. Let's say he's the same age as your, boy, your boys, Jason. And uh, he, the word comes to me that uh, Travis, he can only live if he has a heart transplant and uh, doesn't look very good. Uh, He's going to have to have somebody give his heart. So here's what I decide. I decide Jason has three boys Okay, surely he'd be willing to give one up Whichever one you want Uh, You know, I I don't care. Just pick the one you like the least Uh, and, uh, And and go with that. I mean can you imagine how nervy that would be for me to go to Jason and say hey Browns you guys got four I know there's a couple of them you don't like, uh, so, you know, you know, surely they could get, I mean, you know, Craig's my friend and Jason's my friend, surely. I would never imagine of asking for that. I would never say to God, God, would you give your son to die on the cross for me? I would have never thought. God has already met supernaturally my greatest need in the world. And when I come back to that, I can trust that he loves me. I can trust That he knows what is best. As a parent, I don't always, and I mess up. I can trust that he can do what is best. Again, as a parent, sometimes there's something I want to do for my children, but I am just incapable of doing. I can truly trust him. The top of your bulletin, the psalm that I put there this week is Psalm 94, and I hope that you'll uh, get a chance to read through that. I'm not going to read through it all now. There's some verses in the beginning where, um, again, just pouring out his heart. Uh, The psalmist writes, in this case, it is David, and he he talks about uh, those who don't believe in God, and he calls them foolish in verse number 8. He says, you know, as the person who gave you your ears, doesn't he hear? As the person who has formed your eyes, doesn't he see? You know, basically. But one of the conclusions that he comes to towards the end in verse number 19 is, is a verse that I grabbed onto this week, and that is, When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolation. When the cares of, of my heart, that, that song, when, and we're going to say, why, why don't you all start making your way back up there. We're going to sing that again, that I am not alone. That's some good stuff. But as we, as we think about that, can I really encourage you just, man, as we sing this today, just, hey, we have an omnipotent God, I'm not alone you go before me, you're with me, can, can I kind of cling to that? If if you came, and you know, Vinci, I'm sure, you know, seeking the Lord, you, as you prayed before that psalm, you kind of said, you know, what, whatever you're going through, we know, don't we, that there are people that have just, their hearts are so heavy right now, and, uh, and we, there are cases that I know that is true, and there's got to be a multitude of cases beyond that, but if that's where you are, can I so much encourage you this afternoon, sometime, just pour your heart out to God, just talk to Him. God knows. He's there. You're not alone in that. Just pour your your heart out. Can I encourage you to, to trust Him with that? But most importantly, can I encourage you to take the first step in basic belief and trust? And that is to trust that God so loved the world, and you're part of that world. God so loved you that He gave His only Son. And He said, whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He said, I want to give you eternal life if you believe and trust that the death of Jesus Christ was for your sins, and we can have forgiveness in that, can we use this time, even as we sing in closing, and before we pray, just to look to to Him and cling to the fact that we are not alone. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email info at or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.